Thank you, CJ, so much. If you are uh, new to us or you are visiting today, uh, you will find us right in the middle of a study. Uh, let me just share with you what our people know. I normally prefer to go right through a book of the Bible. We pick a book, we start at the beginning, we go to the end, then we pick another book, usually toggling back and forth between the Old and the New Testaments. But uh, several months ago, I, I wanted to do something a little different, not to be different, but because I felt like that it would be uh, helpful to our church, helpful to you, not just to our church in general, but also to each one of you. And so we have been doing a study uh, on the five solas of Scripture, pointing back to the Reformation, when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door at Wittenberg Castle, wanting to debate the Roman Catholic Church because he saw certain error and excesses. He did not want to pull away from the Roman Catholic Church. What he was after was a reformation. And so these beliefs have been summarized, as you see, in your outline, in the big idea of this series, the five solas, summarize the radical gospel message from God's Word. God does all the saving and leaves nothing for man to claim as his own contribution to gain God's favor and acceptance. And the Reformation, as much as anything, listen to me, was an assault on faith in humanity. That's the hallmark of the culture in which we live today. Faith in ourselves. Faith in humanity to get the job done. So it was an attack on faith in humanity and a defense of the idea that God alone reveals himself and saves us. In other words, we don't find him, he finds us. Let me just run you through some of these things before we read the scriptures together in a moment. He chose us before we chose Him. It's called election. He came to us before we came to Him. That's called incarnation. He made friends with us while we were hostile enemies. That's called redemption. He even accepts us before we accept Him and makes us alive while we were dead. That's called calling. Now, with that in mind, before we go through a review of the five solas, because I do want to do that, and particularly for those of you who haven't been here, why don't you stand with me as we read God's Word? And I know you're asking yourself, well, you haven't told us where to turn in God's Word. That's because I've put it up on the slide. We have three different Scripture passages. And so here is what I would like you to do with me, even as C.J. asks you to read along. I would like you to read along. We're all reading now from the same Translation, this is the English Standard Version, the ESV, and uh, three different passages of Scripture. First of all, John 14, 6. We'll come back and look at these in just a moment, but they set the stage for the sola that we call solus Christus. 
Christ alone. Read this with me if you would, please. Jesus said to him, I alone am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then read Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Father, please help us as we walk through this study on Christ alone. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at, a, at an overview. If, if you want to write these down, you, you can. Those who are here and have been a part of these studies, I hope that you're getting the idea. Let, let me pose this, as I did a couple of weeks ago, in the form of a question. We start with a foundation. I want you to watch this. Uh, there are different ways. If you look up uh, the, the solas, if you Google that online, you're going to find different arrangements of those different ones. So I've arranged it in a way where we start with the foundation, we end with the culmination, and in between is the heart of the gospel. Okay? So uh, we would uh, ask the question of sola scriptura, what is the foundation upon which my salvation rests? And we could say it like this. What is the foundation of my life? What, what is the only true and sure foundation of my worldview of how I see life? It is this, nothing but the Scripture alone. Now, let me just stop and say this. The Scripture does not, hear me well on this, the Scripture does not contain all that is true. Are you tracking with me? Nowhere in the Scripture does it say 1 plus 1 equals 2. All right? So it doesn't include everything that is true. But hear me well on this. Everything that the Scripture includes is true. It is absolutely infallible or inerrant. It is the sure foundation upon which we we stack everything in which we believe. That is the bottom line. That is the foundation. Now, let's move to the last one. Okay? Soli Deo Gloria. God's glory alone. We might say again, this is the culmination. This is the capstone. This is the purpose for which everything in life is done. At least I hope that's true in your life. Salvation is for us, obviously. But salvation ultimately is for God's glory alone. And then in between those two, the foundation and the capstone, are these. And I, and I would call these, you could refer to the center three, the heart of the gospel. What must I earn to be saved? What's the answer to that? Nothing. Salvation is by grace alone. What must I do to be saved? What's the answer to that? Nothing. 
but believe in that grace. And then who or what must I trust to be saved? Believe in nothing and no one but Christ alone. Now, you've got to see, and that's why we're doing it like this, we're taking each sola one at a time. We did Scripture alone. We've done gratia, grace alone. We've done faith alone. Today we're doing Christ alone. Each one of these stands alone, and yet you've got to see that they all go together. With Christ alone at the very center and the core of our belief. I I think I've shared this with you before, but... Our our elders sometime back, we developed a template, and we have not fleshed this out in toto yet. But one of the things we said was, what is it that must go at the very center? What is it that as a church drives us? And one of those things was the five solas, the statement of the gospel, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Scriptures alone, and for the glory of God alone. And then we inserted another thing because it is a capsulization, of a summary of, of everything that we believe, the Apostles' Creed. So let me show you a couple of Scriptures and uh, why this is so important to us. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, Ephesians 1, 6, 12 and 14, and they do fit together. Listen to this. Paul says, and this this is the foundation of our church. If you ask, well, what is heritage all about? Now, the easiest answer, the Sunday school answer is Jesus. Okay, But you've got to be more specific than that. There are a lot of religions that talk about Jesus. But the sole foundation of our church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said it like this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and I added Ephesians chapter 1 three times after the Trinitarian formula that shows our salvation, the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, He says, to the praise of His glorious grace. And then, I love this verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, In verse 2, here was Paul obviously talking to a church that had a pile of problems. And so he walks them through the the wisdom of the gospel in the first chapter, and he ends up by saying this in chapter 2, in verse 2. He said, you know what I decided, church? I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, you've got to understand that Paul did a lot of other talking to the Corinthian church. He said a lot of other things, but the core, the essential message that he came to give to the Corinthian church and that he wants given to every church is Christ crucified, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's look at the three things that you have on your outline here. We're going to try to break these down. What does Christ alone mean? Now, now we are not going to get Uh, to everything about Christ. So forget that. I I started looking at it, and I did realize that when we start talking about the Apostles' Creed, we come back and we talk more about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll talk about that more in detail. But, But I want you to get at the three truths that I've outlined here, Christ alone, 
is at the center of the solas in biblical theology. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Okay, here's what I want you to do. In all three of these, I want you to write something outside, one word, just to continue that, if you can get it in that little space right to the, to the, to the right of the sentence, okay? Or somewhere right underneath it. What does it mean Christ alone is at the center of the solas and biblical theology? Write the word exclusivity. Hmm. Exclusivity, I will spell it. E-X-C-L-U, exclusivity, S-I-V-I-T-Y. Exclusivity, Christ alone is at the center not only of the solas, I shared that a minute ago, it is at the very center of biblical theology. I had a whole section where I was going to show you how Christ shows up on almost every page of Scripture. But I didn't have time. That's why you need to come back. When we get into the teaching of the Apostles' Creed, we're, we're going to find just stunning things. I've been, well, I will tell you one thing. I, I've been reading through the book of Exodus for my quiet time, and it's amazing how often Christ shows up. And you really wouldn't know it unless you read sometimes in the New Testament and Paul explains what he's, he's writing. For example, do you remember the story when the people of Israel were without water? It's right after they got the manna. They complained about everything. And they were complaining about food, so God gave the quail and he gave them manna. Do you realize the manna lasted for the entire time they were in the wilderness for 40 years? They could gather it and, and it sustained them. That's a picture of Jesus. He said he's the bread of life. But I particularly like the, the story of they, they got thirsty. So what did they do? They complained. You're right. They didn't pray. They complained. They didn't have any water. And uh, so God instructs Moses to strike the rock. And what happens when he does so? The water gushed out. Now what's fascinating, you, you may or may not know this, but you run all the way over to the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, and we find the definition of that particular event. And I, 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 don't, I don't find this in all of the Old Testament, but it's true. Paul says that the rock was Christ. And he further says the rock followed them in the wilderness. The rock was Christ. I, that, that's just an aside. That was free. I, that wasn't a part of the sermon. I, I just, I am blown away by how often in the Old Testament Jesus just shows up and shows up. But we're back to this. Okay, the first point is what? Christ alone is the center of the solo's biblical theology. What's the big word there? The exclusivity of Jesus Christ. Let me ask a question. Are there many ways to God? Do all roads lead to God, don't, don't answer yet, or to heaven, or to final rest? That's what most of the people around you believe. 
I, I think I detected a hesitation, particularly on the second one. It's what Hollywood puts forth in their movies. That's what uh, the, the, the popular books, that's what a lot of, uh, every religion believes that theirs is the way, that that road leads to God or to heaven as they picture it or to final rest. That's religion. Now, let me ask the, the acid question again. Are those statements true? Again, you hesitated. There were several of you that said no. Well, let me, I, I've said this before, so I, I want you to see this. Do all roads ultimately lead to God? The answer is no, but the answer, are you following, is also yes. Hmm, how so? Think with me. You see, it do, doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian. You are on a road. Your neighbors are on a road. And if they are never uh, arrested on that road and they turn to the narrow way that leads to life, they will remain on that road that leads to what? That leads to what, Matthew says? Destruction. But where does it lead to before it leads to their final and ultimate destruction? It leads to God. You see, every road will lead you to stand before God, but not necessarily as God, as your Father. Do you understand why the exclusivity of Christ is one of the primary reasons why we do missions? Because there are... 7.2 million people in Turkey that except for maybe about 1,500 to 2,000, they are on a road. Their religion tells them that they're going to get to paradise, that, they're, that they are going to ultimately get to a place of peace if they follow their religion. They will stand before God one day. I don't say this with any pleasure. This is why Greg and I are going this next week and why we go to many other places because they need to hear that the only road is the narrow road and there is exclusivity in Jesus Christ. I would just ask you, I look around and I know most of you as believers in Jesus Christ. There are some of you I don't know that well. When you stand before God someday, will you be invited in? Or will you be cast out? There's only one way for us to be invited in. The Reformers stood for the exclusivity of Christ, His person and His work. Now, I shared this a couple of weeks ago. We need to be careful when we talk about what Roman Catholics believe, what they used to believe and what they believe. Now, if you say that they do not believe in grace through faith in Christ, you would be wrong. Okay? Do you remember that? Catholics did believe. That, that was part of the argument. But there was one word that separated what the Reformers were doing with what the Catholics believed. What is that one word? Alone. The Reformers said, no, you, you can't. Believe in Jesus plus 
The Roman Catholic Church had developed a very elaborate system which to a great degree stands today in which the church, now get this, we just read, who is the mediator, the one mediator between God and men? It's Jesus Christ. The Roman Catholic Church taught and still teaches that the church is the mediator of grace to people through the sacraments which were administered by the priesthood. We stand in the the tradition of the reformers who said, no, it is, as you hear the word of God preached, as the Holy Spirit applies it to your life, you believe it is grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I am not a mediator. And they taught it was Christ plus human achievement. Look at that quote. There are several. Uh, all the quotes are good. I remind you of that. I, I search for these quotes, and there are some really bits of wisdom here. But John MacArthur said this, and it's absolutely true. We've said this before, but I love the way he says it. There are basically only two kinds of religions in the world. Those based in human achievement. Now stop right there. That's not to say they don't believe in Jesus, but it's Jesus plus. Even some Christian groups, at least I I think we would call them Christian, if you add anything, I'm talking about adding baptism as a necessity to being saved. You've said Jesus plus, and that is a false gospel. So MacArthur says those who are based on human achievement and those based on divine accomplishment, one says you can earn your way to heaven. The other says you must trust in Jesus Christ alone. Now, I I just need to stop here and ask the question, am I, and and don't, don't patronize me. I say, oh, no, no, pastor, you're not doing that. Am I being uncharitable to Catholics? Okay. If if you go out and you tell someone that you believe just what I've said so far, are they going to say you are kind and tolerant? Or are they going to accuse you of being unkind and intolerant? Other religions will. Listen, I've worked with animistic Roman Catholics in in South America, Muslims in in Turkey. Folks, these these are good people. I was telling our ABF class, the the ones who were in there today, if if you went to Turkey one time, you would fall in love with the Turkish people. They're wonderful. They are so warm and gregarious, and they're, they're, they just live big for the most part. They greet you with a, with a hug. If you walk up to a guy, he's going he's gonna to put his cheek right there and the other cheek right there, and I never can remember which one goes first, and it's embarrassing and awkward and all the rest. And You rub cheeks and you give a hug, and they say, sit down and drink chai, drink tea. 
But I'm telling you this, that even religions like that who would point at us and say, you're being unkind, you're being intolerant by saying that Jesus exclusively is the way to God, do they not realize that they're doing the exact same thing? When they say, no, 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 your way is wrong, my way is right, you're, you're, you're being intolerant of that. And here's another thing, too. If you went to a doctor and that physician diagnosed you with a fatal disease and said, your only treatment is to do this, what would you say to that doctor? Would you say, oh, you're being rather intolerant or would you say doctor thank you for telling me the truth about the exclusive nature of the treatment that I must do you see when we tell people about Jesus Christ and he is the exclusive way that is the most loving thing that we can do listen again to what Jesus said of himself I alone, now I added that alone because the, the, the Greek makes it very clear, I, myself, and no one else. I'm the way. I'm the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Peter in his preaching said, there's no other name. You can't go through the prophets or, or, or a religious leader. No other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. And then, again, there is one God, one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, the exclusivity of Christ. Second thing that I want you to, to see, the statement there is Christ alone is the only way to God and the only hope for salvation. Now, put outside that word, you, you put up above the, the first sentence, exclusivity, now put the word necessity necessity Christ alone is the only way to God the only hope for salvation that there is what does that mean salvation from what and some would answer would ask the question here what really stop pastor what's the big deal about Jesus anyway and that's one of the things that we see in our culture. It's rampant. Look at the, the quote. I'm going to direct you to another quote, the, the Cambridge Declaration of 1996. This is a picture of what has happened to the evangelical church. Other people have, have seen this. They've written about it. But listen to what the Cambridge Declaration says. As the evangelical faith becomes secularized, that's what's happened. Its interests have been blurred with those of the culture. The result is a loss of absolute values, permissive individualism, and a substitution of wholeness for holiness, recovery for repentance, intuition for truth, feeling for belief, chance for providence, and immediate gratification for enduring hope. Christ and His cross have moved from the center of our vision. Church, pray, 
pray with me that that never happens to Heritage Baptist Church. I want with all of my heart for you today and, and for every, every day of your life, not just when you come here on Sunday and perhaps your emotions, your feelings are stirred a little bit, but every day what I want is for Christ to be presented to you as magnificent. But how do you do this apart from revealing something else? And there, there are a lot of churches that will present Christ as magnificent, but really, bottom line, really, all they can do is present Christ as a really nice guy apart from something that we read about just a few moments ago. Why did Jesus Christ come to earth? Why? Well, that's true. He, he came to die. Okay, I'm glad somebody added that. For our sins. Remember 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel is not just that Christ died. People die all the time. Christ died for our sins. You see, going back to the Cambridge Declaration, I hope you picked up on this. This is, and I'm not, I'm not going to to run down any other churches. I just see this. I hear it all the time. In evangelical Christianity today in the United States, the primary reason people say that Jesus came is to improve our lives. Now, by the way, salvation does improve your life. Doesn't mean your life will be easy. But that's the primary focus. That's the primary thrust of a lot of churches. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life to give us purpose, to give us meaning in the good life, comfort and health and prosperity, to be our helper. Come on. Or to be our guide or to be our life coach. A while back, I, uh, I went to the Internet and I... I was curious about t-shirts that I would find that had slogans. Slogan Christianity. And uh, I, I found a number of them. I didn't put them up on the screen. But it, it's amazing how many people who go to churches and, and good churches feel like that, that Christ came to be our buddy, literally. Our sensei. Here's one, our wingman, for those of you who are pilots. Jesus is my wingman. Oh, come on. Or the one that you've heard all your life, Jesus is my co-pilot. I'm not even in the cockpit. I'm somewhere way back in the back of the plane. Years ago when I was a seminary student, uh, I was working at a, a department store and going to seminary, and there was a guy that was 
working with me, and when we first got to know each other, I wanted to share the gospel with him, and so I engaged in conversation. And I, I found out that this is really not the way to engage uh, someone. You, you have to get to some important things quicker than this. But I began by talking about how that I had found something that had given me purpose in life. See what I'm... I, I had fallen in, into that trap. The guy said, wow, so have I. And the first inkling was, well, this guy is probably a Christian. So I went on. I, you know, I have found purpose and life and meaning. And the guy retorted back, wow, so have I. And I said, I found all of that through Jesus Christ. And he did not miss a lick. I'm telling He didn't even bat an eye. He said, that's great. I found mine through transcendental meditation. If all Jesus came to do was give you meaning and purpose and peace, then what the world says, you can find that in other things. What I should have said, I found one who could forgive me of my sins. I, I am absolutely convinced that in a large part of our current church environment, in our country, sin is downplayed or not mentioned at all. I, I know this for a fact. People leave churches over sin simply being taught as a part of how Jesus is made glorious. Let me go back to that statement I said a minute ago. How do you make Jesus magnificent unless you show what he has saved us from. And that is our sin. Without it, Jesus' mission makes absolutely no sense. John the Baptist knew this. Look at what he said. To a group of people, when he saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. He didn't say anything about giving peace, that's true, or giving purpose or all of that. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who does what? Who takes away the sin of the world. And then I want you to look up this passage of Scripture. It is, I quoted one verse out of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you would. Uh, this is just incredible how Paul lays this out. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Turn there. There's a lot here, but I'm just going to pick up with verse 17. We're going to read down to verse 24 and then drop down to chapter 2 and verse 2. Listen to this. For Christ did not send me, Paul said, to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word or the message of the cross is Folly, foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being, what's the next word? Saved. Saved from what? Our sins. It is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discernment, discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? 
Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the foolishness or the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews. In the Greek, that word is the word scandalon. We get our word scandal from that word. Christ crucified is a scandal to Jews. It is foolishness to Gentiles but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Chapter 2, verse 2, For I decided to know nothing among you, and this is why, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is the necessity. Let's move on to the third one. Christ alone is the affirmation that He did everything necessary for sinners to be saved. Write out the word sufficiency. Sufficiency. So we have really three words about Christ alone. Exclusivity. Necessity. And sufficient. Not only is Christ exclusive. Not only is He necessary. But when we do believe in Him. Listen, and you need to hear this. You need to know this. That He is everything you need period salvation from our sins is by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone not even when we do good things to win approval with God is that acceptable why because they're tainted with sin we have all become like one Isaiah said who is unclean, all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Romans 3, the first part of that, verse 20, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Therefore, because there is nothing we can add to Christ to obtain it, and I say this to all of us, particularly for those of you who are here today and you've never trusted in Christ, the only thing left to do is to trust in what God has done in the person and the work of Christ. You see, God is the standard of righteousness, not us. God says we are to be holy because He is holy. This means that the standard for our righteousness is the character of God. But because we fall short in our sins, we are not holy. That's why it can never be Christ plus anything, because everything we do is tainted by sin. We're not able to accomplish what is necessary to be saved from the righteous judgment of God. And God knows this, so He provided for us the means of salvation. What that means is through the incarnation, Jesus became a man, God in the flesh. He never sinned. He bore in His body on the tree that is the cross 
in order that we might be justified. I tell this story uh, every, just about every Easter at Christmas. But I'm going to tell it again. So for those of you who have heard it uh, last Easter, you don't need to come up and remind me that I told it last Easter. You know, I've often wondered about that. Preachers only really get to use illustrations once. CJ, musicians get to sing the same songs over again. So, But this, this really happened. It was a, a wonderful illustration of the fact that, that Christ stands as our substitute and as our sacrifice. When our kids, Jason and Amy, were little, neither one of them are here, so uh, it's okay that I can tell this story. Jason was, oh, I don't know, he might have been seven or eight. Amy was younger, she was five or six, and she had broken one of my rules. I don't remember what she did, but she had she had done something that was wrong. And so what we normally did, we had this wonderful little paddle that we bought at Six Flags Over Texas. It was perfect for spanking the behind. Uh, we Yes, we believed in corporal punishment. And uh, so I said, go into your room, Amy, and I'm going to give you a spanking. Took the paddle in there. And she was just crying, very tender. She was just crying. Dad, I, 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 don't, I don't want a spanking. And I said, well, Amy, you, you broke the rule. You, you did this. You sinned against a holy father. Uh, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> you broke the rule. You've got to be punished. I don't, I don't want to be spanked. And about that time, no kidding, I am not making this up. There was a knock at the door. And I said, who is it? It's Jason. Jason, you, you know that we, we spank behind closed doors. And he said, Dad, I, I want to come in. I want to tell you something. Please, can I come in? So I let him in. And he came in and he said, uh, Dad, I don't want you to spank Amy. I said, well, that's admirable. I, I appreciate that sentiment. But she broke the rule, and so she has to be punished. She has to be spanked. And he caught me so off guard. He said, Dad, could could I take her spanking for her? Only time he's ever asked. Before or since. And I thought, oh, Lord, thank you. This is, I don't know where this came from, but this is such a wonderful picture. And I get to, to do this and then share. And I said, oh, okay, now, Jason, you, you, didn't, you didn't break any rule. You didn't do this, did you? No, no, I didn't. I just don't want Amy to get a spanking. And so... I'll take her spanking for her. And I looked at Amy and I said, your big brother wants to take your spanking for you. Would that be okay with you? <laughs> so I said, okay, you have to leave the room. You know the rules. And so she left the room, closed the door, and I didn't, I didn't have the heart to spank that little guy. And so I kind of whispered to him and I said, uh, I said, Jason, I'm going to hit the bed real hard, and I want you to act like I've spanked you. And so I hit the bed, and he screams. And I said, tone it down, tone it down. <laughs> and I three licks, that's what we gave, three licks, and he acted like he was getting the punishment. And then I brought her back in, and I said, now, I, I just want you to understand, and you, you don't yet, 
But this is a picture of what Jesus did for us. He's our big brother. He approached the father and he said, Father, I, I don't want you to punish Marty. Could I take his punishment for him? Now, here's, here's the difference. There are several differences in the story. I pulled the punishment. The father didn't. The full measure of every sin you ever sinned was poured out on the son. When God the Father poured out His wrath. And folks, that's the gospel. No other religion, no other religious leader even comes close to what Jesus did in His exclusivity, His necessity, and His sufficiency. Father, I thank you for the glorious gospel of Christ. I know what I deserve, Lord. And it certainly isn't heaven. But Father, I, I know that at the appropriate time you sent Jesus Christ to be the exclusive Savior of the world. His death, burial, and resurrection is absolutely necessary. We must believe it. Lord, when we do, we find that it is totally sufficient. It forgives from beginning to end, from top to bottom. And it guarantees, promises our entrance into your presence and eternity with you. And Father, we are grateful for that, those of us who know you. And help us to live out the implications of the gospel today and every day for those who are here today. And do not know Jesus Christ. I pray that today would be the day that they see that they have sinned against you, a totally holy God. They deserve your punishment, your spanking. But that Jesus has stood in their place. He's taken the punishment. God, may they respond with repentance and faith and be saved even today. Thank you for hearing us. Help us as we respond now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.